0: If you've had automating your ASP.NET deployments on your to-do list, now's a great time to give Octopus Deploy a try. The starter edition lets you install Octopus on your own infrastructure and deploy to IIS web servers, Azure websites, and pretty much anything from Node to Kubernetes, and they just made it free for small teams. Give your team a single place to release, deploy, and operate software with Octopus Deploy. Find out more at octopus.com. .NET Rocks is being sponsored today by Text Control, the company behind TX Text Control, a Microsoft Word-inspired document editor library and document processing engine for your applications. TX Text Control is fully customizable and programmable and is available for most platforms, including ASP.NET MVC, Web Forms, WPF, and Windows Forms. Recently, they released their Angular and Node.js versions that allow the integration of WYSIWYG document editing into your web apps. TX Text Control really shines in applications that do mail merging and reporting where Microsoft Word compatible templates are merged with JSON data in the client or pure server-side applications that create Adobe PDF documents. So, try TX Text Control for free and see the live demos at textcontrol.com/demos. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. Oh my God, how long has it been, Mr. Richard Campbell? Well, we were supposed to be traveling constantly through the spring, so
1: we shot shows way in advance, and I think the, the last show we published with Rocky was like the end of February we recorded it. Yeah, that's so right. before all this.
0: Yeah, that was, uh I think I was like, I had done a little bit of the Blazer Roadshow, and yeah. I was going out for the second leg, and then- you know, I caught the coronavirus, and we had to cancel the show. And I came home. Now, you—you you didn't figure out you had the coronavirus until long time after that, right? You. Well, I don't know when I picked it up, but I certainly had symptoms then. Yeah, I mean, you, you shut down the tour because of the what was happening. Well, I actually we shut down the tour. What cemented it was that both Jeff Cosby, who's the driver, and I. Both came down with symptoms. He actually had a mild fever and a cough and I lost my taste buds and had a cough and it didn't seem like it was going to be a good thing if I got up there in front of a bunch of people and, and you started were in, coughing and sniffling.
1: And as I understand, it, you were in Portland when, when you, yeah. and so you hold up in Portland on the other side of the country. Right. Alone. Yep. In Dude, a that, hotel room for eight days. That sucks. Just, like, what if anything had gone, like, I'm glad you're alive. But
0: yeah. holy crap. What if it had gone badly? Well, you know, I, I had to be somewhere and I didn't want to come home and infect people. And I, it was actually you, Rich Campbell, who convinced me to get on a flight and go home once my symptoms cleared up because, uh, there was nobody in the airports and flights were cheap. And oh my God, my flight was practically free. Well, I and mean, well, that, and I
1: was afraid the states were literally going to stop flying. Like you couldn't get home. Right. And so that, that, and and then Trump started
0: talking about that. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, you know, you're right. So I put on masks and gloves and got some Purell and I went to the airport and I, um, got a free upgrade to first class and it was pretty, pretty easy flight to get home. But then, yeah. So now you're home. Yes. You've been tested. Yeah. I got tested on March 29th. Okay. And. Uh, you know, the no- the nasal swab, so it wasn't the antigen test. Uh, it was the antigen test, not the antibody test. Right. Which doesn't really exist it doesn't yet. Doesn't exist, yeah. Yeah. So, I got, you know, I have it. And the only lingering symptoms I have now, April 14th, are my sense of taste is at about 50%. And I feel like I have uh, like cotton balls in the back of my throat. And, uh, and I get winded if I exert myself. But other than that, I have no. Fever, no major symptoms. And so, what point are you
1: clear? Like, they they have to test you a couple more times and actually- This is a great
0: question. I don't know. And I don't know as if I can get a second test. I think I'm going to actually talk to my doctor tomorrow.
1: Well, that's the crazy part, right? Like, according to the World Health Organization, you're supposed to get two tests 24 hours apart that are both negative, but- Wow, that would be great. But wouldn't you, you know, I just, with such a limited supply of tests, it seems- like, too much.
0: Like, how it can you It seems frivolous, that? To, yeah. you know, when there are people that really need. Exactly. Yeah. So, I think what my doctor's going to say when I talk to him tomorrow is just, you know, you, the I think the guidance is three days after your last symptom is when you can feel free to, you know, go talk to people or whatever. But I still don't think that anybody knows. I think that's just a guess. Yeah. Well, it's, it's. It's coronavirus, right? Like it's novel. Weird.
1: Yeah, we don't know about it. Is it. Novel. So, well, anyway, you've you're mm. you're one of the the few on
0: the and the hopefully after I make a full recovery, um, and I have antibodies, I'm going to donate some plasma. You know, because yeah, right, you're now part of the experiment. Yeah, that's right. And my plasma can help because it has antibodies can help other people survive. So, it's uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to being able to help people. With my biology, whatever that means. All right. Well, there's oh. an open. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how we open rocks today, kids. Um, you at, better least, I, at least I can speak. Do you remember when I got that virus from uh, a couple of years ago, and it wrecked my voice for oh, the yeah. whole summer?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah. I did talk when I did talk to you in Portland. Like you did
0: not sound well. No, <laughs> like, I, it was, it's true. It yeah. wasn't good. So. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, let's uh, open it up with Better Know Framework. Roll the crazy music. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? All right. Well, this is a little bit old news now because, you know, it's been a while. So, this is a blog post from Microsoft for, from March 11th. Visual basic support planned for .NET 5. That's a great way of phrasing, we're ending Visual Basic support, isn't it? It was a very nice way to say we're ending Visual Basic support. And some (laughs) people thought, oh, wow, this is great. But if you read between the lines here, they clearly say, well, first of all, they clearly say what they are supporting, Visual Basic will support in .NET 5, class libraries, consoles, Windows Forms, WPF, worker services, and ASP.NET Core web API. Now, they didn't say ASP.NET Core like websites but i kind of feel like if they're supporting web api wouldn't they why wouldn't they support the web stuff i don't know that's unclear but here's here's the kicker buried in this language is quote going forward we do not plan to evolve visual basic as a language this supports language stability and maintains compatibility between the .NET core and .NET framework versions of visual basic Future features of .NET Core that require language changes may not be supported in Visual Basic. Due to differences in the platform, there will be some differences between Visual Basic on .NET Framework and .NET Core. And they said they are happy supporting .NET Framework as long as there is support for Windows because it's shipped with the OS. Yeah. So what they're saying is Visual Basic has come to, uh, in, in terms of innovation, has come to an end. It's going into maintenance, essentially.
1: Yeah. Um, and and it, the funny part, of course, is they're saying this. The, the question is, if the outcry is sufficient, will they change their mind? If there's a reason to change their mind. so. Well, I, I, I kind of think that it's for technical reasons. Yeah. Well, but mostly. The same way we saw C Sharp 8 not be available for .NET framework. Right? Yeah. only for .NET Core. They're starting to do things that now depend on features
2: specific to .NET Core. Well, yeah. you say that. You can do most of the C 8 stuff with .NET Framework with no problem. It's only things like uh, default interface implementation. Right.
0: Now you've done support. it, Richard. Yeah, yeah. No, I, spoke <laughs> Skeet.
2: I spoke to
1: Skeet. Hey, <laughs> Mr. Skeet, let us just wrap this up and we'll bring you in and you can tell me how wrong I am. <laughs> <laughs> don't go poking the skeet, my goodness <laughs> yeah i don't i don't disagree and it, and we're not done with shows on this so clearly we'll, well I'm talking to some some VB team members we should talk about what the sort of reality is around this i'm just interested in how many people are freaking out like who's living in yeah. VB land these days it's it's been a
0: long time if you read some of the comments on that blog post and there are many there are some from people who say, you know, I'm probably going to get fired over this because – I read this one I'm probably going to get fired because I'm being hired by my company because I'm the only guy who can do the tech support calls in VBNet, you know, with our foreign people, and I'm never going to learn C-sharp. Well, there you go. Then you're going to get fired, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then other people are saying, you know, any developer worth their salt can learn a new language.
1: Yeah. Just do it. Yeah. So. It's an interesting, interesting problem. Yeah. But yeah, my goodness. It, I- my it goodness. is. It's, it's a question of, of where we are. And I'm, we're going to have to wade into this to some degree. I like this I line. They so. refuse
0: to open source VB6. Like, it's not a refusal. There's just no way to do it yeah it, we talked about that a long yeah. time ago the the in order to open source you have to give you, you have to have it. sign off on everybody who can uh, right. contributed to it and those people just aren't around anymore well and and th- the huge chunks of VB were still thunderform
1: stuff from Alan Cooper and they did not include open source licenses like it's yeah. a tremendous amount of work and largely worked out w- w- In the end what you'd end up with is a bunch of C code. That only would wouldn't be compilable in the Git environment anyway. Like it's right. it's uh, it's not feasible. It's not
0: reasonable. Well, anyway, Richard, that's my story for Better No Framework. I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about it as you hear sure. before. So, uh, who's talking to us, Mister Campbell? Grabbed a comment
1: off a show fourteen seventy nine. So you know, only a couple hundred shows ago, uh, one <laughs> about .dot net diagnostics with one Jonathan Skeet back in uh, September of twenty seventeen. And that's when wow. we were talking about diagnosing problems and applications. And that was where the Prognet conference. Remember that one in London? Oh, yeah. That was fun. Um, who, yeah. Who's gone through a dissolution and recovering. Like they, they had some major finance problems. Like a lot has happened since 2017, not just a pandemic. Mm. But uh, there's a great comment here This is from Brian Smithson Who says Italy, Three years ago It was a great show Always enjoy Mr. Skeet I too am struggling With helping others Diagnose problems In their code For me The first experience Programming in high school Was in the 70s With Fortran On punch cards Wow and When you diagnose Punch cards fun uh, my school didn't have a computer and I had to punch my cards and mail them to the local university where my program was loaded, executed, and then a green bar printout was mailed back to me. Now, when we talk about dev cycles, you know, now that's a slow dev cycle. Mm. If I was lucky, I got two runs in a week and that really taught me that desk checking, going over the program line by line before the computer even saw it, playing computer with my own code, it was enlightening. Hmm. Although slow, like it's all that's trading your time versus compute time, right? Yeah. I'm also a strong believer that laziness is inspirational. So anything I can do to simplify my code also makes it easier to debug. As a teaching assistant in college, I once had a student come to me for help with this program. I'll never forget what he said. I don't understand why this program doesn't work. It's too short to have any bugs. <laughs> mm, that's not true. <laughs> Keep up the good work, everyone. Really enjoyed the show. Well thank you Brian and yeah you know yeah. old school I just it's interesting that we have so many compute resources available to us now and my measure you know as someone who used to manage developer my measure of my developer's productivity was really how short the cycle time was how long from typing that code in to it being re- compiled and then integrated and then feedback fed back to the developer like you were doing two cycles a week and i wanted it under 15 minutes right you know, and that, and that to me was really a measure of productivity. So thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Muse to Code Buy, it's on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Muse to write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the Facebooks because we publish every show there. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy
0: of Muse to And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. But please, please space them six minutes apart. And whatever you do, don't touch your face. <laughs> Follow the protocol, people. Follow All right. So, let's officially get John Skeet in on this conversation. Uh His bio probably hasn't changed in 10 years, but he's a software engineer <laughs> for Google in London who plays with C-sharp somewhat obsessively in his free time. He loves writing and talking about C-sharp. He's got books such as C-sharp in Depth which you must read. Writing less formally, John spends a lot of time on Stack Overflow, where a lot is an understatement. Give him a puzzle about how C-sharp behaves, which gets him reaching for the language spec, and John is a happy bunny. He lives in Reading with his wife and three children. Welcome back, John.
2: Nice to be here. Yeah,
1: to, uh, I, I did enjoy your reading of the she sharp specification in front of the fire. That was that was a good. Day. Oh, that was fun. <laughs> yes, <laughs> is, there yes. A, is there a part two of that coming at some point? Uh,
2: who knows? Who knows? We'll see. I presume you didn't finish, right? Uh, well, that was. I think I did most of section one. <laughs> Uh, but we are now that was the draft of the C sharp six spec, right? And, and here we are right eight. now the ECMA committee the ECMA technical group is uh, has reconvened and is trying to finish the conversion from word to markdown so that we can then get on and actually standardize C sharp six, and then seven and then eight, and then we'll eventually catch up. Wow. Okay. So wow. yeah, things are things are gradually happening, but we should you know, re uh, restate that today is April the fourteenth, yes. and I hope you guys are gonna you know, release this show quickly because yes. uh, if you wait like a week, it'll be massively outdated in terms of the news. It's, <laughs> it's, so it's much literally is, is so coming so out next week,
1: so yeah, you right. know, the twenty third. Excellent, yeah. So I, I was aware, and we also drain <laughs> we drain the hopper, knowing we were going to be home more, and be able to record more routinely, and yeah, right. so. We, it it is all very intentional. So I'm glad it it worked out that way. And obviously going on. You're, one would argue you're the sharp guy or one of the most C sharp guys out there. So he's the C sharpiest. He's one of the C sharpiest people I've ever met. (laughs) That's true. But, uh, but VB.net, I'm, do, do you agree with this situation here? Like, how do you feeling?
2: So, uh, you actually caught me at an interesting time. I wrote some VB for the first time for a long time, uh, at the tail end of last week. I'm currently working on the functions framework for .NET. Uh, as part of my day job with Google, uh, so there's Google Cloud Functions, and you can run Cloud Functions on Google Cloud Run as well. Yeah, and I'm responsible for the .NET framework bit, or at least I'm I'm sort of doing the early part, and then we'll probably hand over maintenance to another team. Um, and one of the teams said last week oh okay well we've got C-sharp templates what about VB and F-sharp it's like oh that's a good idea well I've got a meeting coming up but maybe if I mute myself maybe by the end of the meeting I can have templates for F-sharp and VB um, <laughs> and so it happened <laughs> <laughs> it, it turns out that the VB one was significantly quicker to get working than the F-sharp, because my F-sharp yeah. skills are just zero. Uh, however, yeah, it is now, you know, I released alpha uh, 100 alpha 3 of the .NET Functions Framework um, today. And so, yes, you can now do .NET new GCF HTTP minus lang VB, and you get a VB template, because, right. you know, why not? You know, why not? There's minimal cost to us. We need to maintain the template, but that's all because it's not like we need to change anything else to get it working. Well, I also appreciate you don't use a blog post like that as an excuse to say, why bother
1: supporting VB? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because Um, if I'm someone committed in in the VB.net space and I see a blog post like that, I'm like, this is what vendors are going to do now. Bit by bit, you know, pieces of the Internet are going to get walled off to me.
0: I almost feel a little bit guilty now because… You know, we haven't talked about VBNet on the show, and of course, you know, that was the language that I started .NET with and made the switch to C-sharp, and and we we haven't given the VB.NET programmers all that much love and all that much uh, – granted, there hasn't been a lot of innovation, but now that it's like, okay, it's the writing
2: is on the wall, we're all talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean – Microsoft's sort of done a bit of a hokey-cokey on VB. For a while, there was, we will have parity, then we won't, then we will, yeah. then we won't. Um, it feels like maybe this is the last writing on the wall. But in Amazing. terms of why support Web API rather than, say, we support the whole of ASP.NET Core, I'm assuming that that means they won't do Razor pages, etc. Right.
0: That's probably it. I suspect it. Razor
2: yeah. is the big the big deal because that's where the language really matters.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, it, and represents the steepest amount of work, right? Just yeah, the hardest thing to to uh, actually implement, and I, and I imagine the team is small now, right? If they're going into maintenance, like the same way you describe these templates you're building, there's a team that gets a certain versions done, and then it's passed over to maintenance teams, and eventually you get to a place where it's just maintenance teams,
2: right? And it's very – I've been on the sort of receiving end of this, that people see a company like Google or Microsoft and think, well, I can make a feature request. And uh, sure, they'll say that takes resources, but you're Microsoft or you're Google. You have huge amounts of resources. Well. Huge is an infinite, and there can be huge requests for those resources as well. Right. And it's it's always worth remembering that there are real people on the other end of these feature requests. Sure. And in,
1: right. and in everything we did for you on this side means other things didn't get done somewhere else. Exactly.
0: Yes. Right. It's a matter of prioritization. Nobody gets to the bottom of their to do list. Right. I, I don't want to be Kathleen Dollard right now. She is in a tough position. You know, she made the original announcement that there was going to be support when there was going to be support, you know, going on. And now it's coming to the end. It's just, it just must be sucky for some people at Microsoft that this decision had to be made. Well, and, and just to be clear, there's still support. There's no new features. There's no in innovation. Yeah. In yeah. this
1: current. Declaration, right? I mean, other declarations are coming. We'll, we'll see what happens. You know, you never know when someone like, you know, there's a reason why Microsoft still supports XP. The U.S. Navy said, how much money would you like? That's true. And and the, and XP keeps going. If a big customer appears or enough things show up that say, Hey, we need this new feature that's only in C sharp in VB. Yeah. They'll do it.
0: Unless, like I said before, it's just technically impossible or. Or would take too many resources for for I I don't know. I I, I don't know the answer to that before and then Mr. Skeet popped in and went, Well,
1: you know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) True. And language innovation is really hard because Mm -hmm. someone wants a new feature and you say, Okay, I can see how we can do that. And then you've got to think, is it gonna break someone else? Right. Oh yeah. And it's it's just horrifically complicated. So yeah, as as you say, I wouldn't want to be Kathleen, but I'm immensely grateful that Kathleen's there. Yeah, I well, can't think too. of anyone else I would rather have in that position. Well, yes. and we
1: haven't we haven't had her on the show in more than a year, and uh, I I'll, I'll give her her time. It's like all right, we, tell right. me how you want to talk about this, and we'll we'll get it
2: figured
0: out. Yeah, right. Yeah, yep. yep, yep. Well, That's- anyway, we're here to talk about versioning, aren't we, John? <laughs>
2: Oh, we, I, I, you know, <laughs> there are so many things we could talk about, and the email inviting me seems so so long ago. It, but yeah, versioning is good. Yeah,
1: well, it it wasn't that long. Is it still relevant? Like you had said to me that you
2: had been doing some interesting things in versioning and you wanted to talk about it. Yeah, I'm like I'm uh, all over I've that. I've been anytime. still playing with versioning. I've been playing with my drum kit. We can talk about <laughs> you know, <there's> <laughs> yes, things. I've been learning so much about WPF in the last, like, three weeks or so. It's, oh, it's fun times.
0: Yeah, no kidding. What kind of drums
2: do you have? (laughs) Uh, So, I have a Roland V-Drum set that Uh, was a TD-17, and I now have a TD-27 with the digital snare and ride. Believe it or not, when I first moved into the Franklin's
0: Net office in 2000, I think it was, i uh i bought a set of v drums and that was the first drum set that i actually owned and i could play because i had been playing other people's drums and then i um i got a, a real set after that but but the v drums man those are fun especially if you don't want to bother your family
2: <laughs> yeah i well mine are in my shed so in fact I no longer play uh, with headphones on, which I did for the first sort of five months that I had them. And then Holly bought me a, a drum monitor for Christmas. Nice. And since then I haven't plugged headphones in, um, but I'm, I'm in my shed, which is my home office. Uh, so I'm well away from everyone. So, so long as I don't get up at five in the morning and play, it's, it's all good, uh, yeah. but they are immense amounts of fun. Not only because, Hey, they're drums. And unlike right. you, I, I couldn't play drums at all before I bought them. Um, but they're also the, the newer kits. So in particular, the TD17, TD27 and TD50, uh, immensely configurable as I think a lot of them have been over time, but yeah. you can get at all that configuration information, uh, via MIDI system requests, yeah. uh, or SysX requests. So I've been building an explorer, a V drum explorer to let you see all of that information and edit it all on your computer and then up uh, either you know, share it with your friends who, right. you know, your friends who have the same drum kit as you, admittedly a small number, um, or then copy it back onto your drum kit and things. And it's, it's mostly a hobby project that I'm using to, you know, sharpen the saw. Uh, nice. Make sure I couldn't. Yeah. Well, it's so much fun because I've recently been just rewriting the whole thing. I did, I did it in WinForms, then, uh, rewrote it in like an hour or so to be in WPF because At that time, it was fairly small, and I rewrote it really, really badly in WPF. No proper MVVM at all, and now I've been rewriting it from scratch again, saying, okay, let's do this properly, and it's taken me forever to get anything working again, but now I can add features much more quickly because it's on a more solid foundation. And just being able to do that, you don't get the time to do that for non-personal projects. Yeah, and at the same time, it's, it's a large enough project that there's some significant complexity in there, particularly, um, trying to work out how data relationships work. So if I update one field, say I update whether I'm looking at a preset instrument or a user sample, well, I've then got to update. Another field, because if I had user sample 500, that consists of two bits of information. It's the, that I'm using user samples rather than preset instruments yeah. and the index is 500. Well, the index of 500 isn't valid anymore. Right. If I'm using a preset instrument. So I've got to work out how to sort of chain these updates together and work out how that will happen within WPF as well. MIDI is notorious for you, for, you know, Trying
0: to conserve bytes, right? So there are bytes that are combinations of two four-bit values that you have to send, and you got to do all the binary math and all that stuff. And then banks, you know, are basically eight bits, so you have to switch banks. Oh yeah, I don't, I, don't, I remember those days. You're you're not using my MIDI tools, are you? Because I did write no, a DL no, on I'm, .NET I'm. to wrap all the MIDI stuff in windows
2: no uh i was using uh Sangford midi and i'm now using commons midi i think which is oh, in yeah. theory cross-platform so i should be able to run the same code not the wpf obviously but the rest of the same code i should be able to use from um a raspberry pi last time i tried that i got a seg fault but you know i, I will <laughs> investigate at some point and likewise i i want to get it working on the mac um, so there are challenges, but the theory is that it should be compatible. That's
1: fun. You know, I, you said this thing right in the midst of all that. There was actually the programmer thing, which is like, I re-engineered this, <laughs> which you normally never get time to do. And it enabled all this other capability. It, those big refactoring projects actually have a significant ROI return. It's just tough to measure it.
2: Right. And, uh, you've also typically got to have working code at every point, and I absolutely haven't. You know, I I r- really started. Uh, I've just done file new project, so I've kept the old one so I can copy and paste bits from it. Um, but this hasn't been a refactoring. Refactoring sounds much more genuine engineering than I've been doing. I've just been rewriting, and uh, I haven't been writing any tests. I've written just a few tests. Um, it, it is now, in theory, testable in a way that it wasn't before. <laughs> uh, I can test the view model in a way that I definitely couldn't have done before. Yeah. Um. I just haven't written those tests yet. Uh, and th- they might come. They might not. I'll see how I feel. And I don't feel too bad about that. I'm just having fun. Good.
1: Yeah, well, I'm just. It, 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 it is interesting to think about how we do these different projects together. And, and do you find you're actually having more time? to to work on this stuff?
2: Immense amounts. Yes. Hmm. So uh, over the Easter period in the UK, we have Good Friday and Easter Monday are both public holidays. So we had a four day weekend. Now, Hmm. normally we'd have been going out. Maybe we'd have gone to the theater on a Saturday night. We'd have definitely had something at church on the Saturday evening, Saturday afternoon, rather. Um, Whereas we had a zoom call with the church on Sunday at sort of 10 o'clock and actually we we got up, uh, Holly and I got up early to have a Zoom call uh, at dawn, so a, a 6 a.m. Zoom call to sort of welcome Easter in that sense. Right. Uh, but nice. other than that, I've been in my shed writing code for hours and hours and hours um, and the kids are all old enough that that's where they would prefer me to be in the shed than bothering them as well. <laughs> so, Yes. Yeah. yeah, I'm not having to drive them around the amount of free time. I sort of feel guilty about it, that this lockdown is there are certainly bits that are inconvenient for me. But compared with so, so many other people, really, my life is either unaffected or positively affected. Um and I yeah. do realize how unusual that is. I'm
1: I'm loath to even mention that the sort of reality. I think for a lot of us that are in this technology space, where it's like, well, we're all pretty much introverts anyway, and you're kind of asking us to do what we mostly want
2: to do. Right. Yeah. I, I was already working from home. Yeah. Um, you know, I hadn't been into the office for a couple of months or so, and you know, my my job isn't at risk from this. Yeah. Um. I can do my job perfectly well from home, Holly writes from home anyway, so we are really, really privileged. Yeah, very, very, feeling very lucky. John, you're you're
0: resonating with me because I've been extremely productive. I'm basically working around the clock because I can and that's what I would want to do rather than, you know, brief bits of entertainment, yes, that's true, but... Most of what I've been doing has been learning and developing and, and being productive. And man, uh, you know, yeah. you, 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 don't know what you're missing when you, when you, uh, when you, when you have such vast expanses of time that you can devote yeah. to a project.
2: And, and I found time for entertainment as well. Uh, so, you know, you've got better know a framework. I guess I can make a video game recommendation as well. Yes. Um, I have, I happen to catch Ori Will of the Wisp. Uh, that it had been released on March 17th or something. And I had played Ori and the Blind Forest before and loved it. So I thought, yes, I will absolutely immediately get Ori and the Will of the Wisps. And it is the most beautiful and hope-filled game um, with a can gorgeous you, you soundtrack that? that's also really great for. So it's Ori, O-R-I, and the Will of the Wisps. I'm, uh, I'm I believe it's on Steam notes. as well as Xbox. And it's just imagine the Metroid games in terms of sort of uh, map exploration and you get extra skills that let you do find other bits of the map that you're already familiar with. Um, But I wouldn't say it's entirely free of violence but it is a very nature-filled game and yeah. a very good-willed game. So most of the time when you defeat a bad uh, a boss, uh you find that they were tragically misunderstood. <laughs> and the the whole thing is full of very very star y maybe
0: very Gene Roddenberry like
2: then. Right, yeah. Yeah. And the music as well, I found that the the soundtrack is available, so you've got three hours worth of music that is just so beautiful. It really is. I was, f- guys, I need to interrupt oh, yeah.
1: for one moment for this very important message.
0: Hey, it's Carl and Richard here to tell you that all of the NDC conferences this year are going online. You can still attend the workshops and sessions, but from the comfort of your own home. Here's what's coming up: NDC Oslo is June eighth to twelve. So go to ndcoslo.com to register. NDC Minnesota will be September 8th through the 11th. Go to
1: ndcminnesota.com to register. NDC Sydney is October 12 to
0: 16. Early bird discount for NDC Sydney ends July 12th. So go to ndcsydney.com to register.
1: Check out the full lineup of conferences at ndcconferences.com. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin and our friend John Skeet over in Reading. And Carl, I think I interrupted you just before the break there. Sorry.
0: Oh, no, no, no problem. I was just going to say one of the things that I did for entertainment was I watched Mark Miller's and Karen uh Twitch show, Dragon Humpers. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, And our friend...
1: Oh my god, it's
0: off the chain. This is D&D. Kent Alstad, our friend, is one of the players and he he plays like a kind of a stoner Canadian, you know. (laughs) And uh, Mark and Karen are – well, Mark is himself, but Karen kind of has this character. She – sort of like is I don't know you just got to watch it. So they're playing D&D okay. and they have a dungeon master and nobody really knows what they're doing and it's just an excuse for a lot of one-liners. And It's kind of like Mondays with no bits, you know. Right. But it doesn't matter cuz it's hilariously funny anyway. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, we're finding different ways to uh to to try
1: things on. I don't know that we've spoken about versioning in any I, way. Yeah, we have kind <laughs> of seem <feeling> like <laughs> The lockdown show might be the appropriate yeah, it's title. It's not, it's not a bad thing. What else have you been working on, John?
2: Uh, so I, have continued working on the Google cloud uh, client libraries for .NET. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still beavering away with Nodatime, uh, mostly accepting pull requests from other people at the moment and hoping to release NodaTime three soon, which does come back to versioning. Um, and i'm still intrigued by versioning and somewhat dismayed by the the .net environment um framework support for versioning where we are in a situation where Nougat is sort of semantic versioning encouraging right mm. and the platform really isn't so yeah. and in, in particular yeah. if you say uh i want to install um Say Node Time version two, and I will depend on a library that needs Node Time version three. Or if you depend on two libraries, one of which needs Node Time two and one of which needs Node Time three, um, then well, you'll get Node Time three, and the version, the library that was hoping for Node Time two, kind of has to say, "Well, I hope it'll still work." Right? Uh, so <laughs> you're really anybody no
1: support? That the, the person developing Node Time three, and goodness knows who that is. <laughs> uh, would actually take into account the fact that they, that if somebody depends on two, that would still work for three. So if there's breaking changes, like you can get into a trap.
2: Oh, absolutely. And the, the whole reason why it's no to time three is there are breaking changes. If right. there weren't any breaking changes, you wouldn't, it would still be no to time two. two. X of um, something. Yeah, and it just
1: is a, as a corollary to this, even though it's a big break for us, Last week's show, Publishwise, which was with Rocky Laka, he was talking about problems with NuGet around CSLA because it's an incredibly long lived open source project. He was into NuGet right at the very beginning, but the you know, as NuGet's evolved, he's ended up with all these different packages and package problems and people getting wrong versions of things exactly with these kinds of constraints. So I'm interested to hear your scenario, this same kind of problem.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I've been talking with Rich Lander about this and there's a recognition that we have a problem. Um, but we don't really have a solution. And I'm hoping that I can work with Microsoft and we can end up, we may well not be able to solve the problem. But we can alert people to the problem better. So, for right. example, su- suppose we were we are in the situation where maybe I'm writing my V Drum Explorer, and I depend on two different libraries. Library X depends on node time Two. Library Y depends on node time Three. Quite why my V Drum Explorer needs to do an awful lot with node time, I don't know. But anyway, um,
1: <laughs> everybody cares about time in percussion. now. Uh, yeah, time yeah. matters. Well,
2: uh, you know, time zones, I, I, not so much. <laughs> I do log. Uh, i do use node time in the logging so that i capture the current instant and it's just you know, because that's my habit right um but uh we we should be able to tell when we have built everything we've got all the dlls and we should at least be able to say okay well this library x depends on node time 2 we're going to provide you with node time 3 we can at least check that everything from node time that x depends on is still present in three right so we can say you know, okay you seem to be trying to call this method that was removed now at least give you good warnings right e- exactly and it could only be a warning because maybe you're not exercising the functionality in library x that mm. tries to call into the thing that was removed from node time three so maybe it's all okay but you know, there should be it shouldn't be too hard to say, okay, these things look compatible uh, as far as we can see. And in fact, for the difference between node time two and node time three is relatively small, unless you're using binary serialization right now, you should be okay. I have removed binary serialization, which I expect will affect a vanishing number of other libraries, Hmm. but there's always the chance. And, and the general principle is, you know, Everything could have been removed. I could have decided to rename everything um, backwards in Node Time Three right. compared with Node Time Two. You know, there is absolutely no guarantee of backward compatibility because it's a new major version. Sure. What
1: well, what about side by side execution? Like, it w- how difficult it would be to have both packages
2: loaded? Right. So that is definitely a possibility. Um, you then have a problem. Uh, So .NET Core supports this in terms of uh, assembly context loaders, I think it is, something like that. It's an an area that I haven't got into, but Rich was talking about it um, at at length. And that's feasible. The problem becomes something called type exchange. So typically, um, you want to be able to pass types around. So imagine that uh, library X that I previously talked about um, that depends on node time two has some bit of its public API surface saying, I will return you an instant for when something happened. And library Y that depends on node time three has a method that accepts an instant. It would be nice if my application could call the method from X that returns me an instant and pass it into, applica- uh, into library Y that consumes an instant. However, a node time 2 instant and a node time 3 instant, they are just different types. If you've if you've separated out, got this side-by-side execution, then they're compartmentalized. They are different types. You cannot use one as if it's the other. Hmm. So you know, maybe in that situation, it's better to say, do you know what, library X, just try to play nicely with um, node of time 3, and then everything can be happy. If you don't run into any problems, then your life is really good. Unfortunately, if you do run into problems, you're completely stuck. So, it's <laughs> it's kind of tricky. Um, there is also the the area of that sort of side by side that's that I find interesting is the idea that when I express dependencies, I would like to be able to express them, them as private dependencies. So this library X that depends on node time 2, maybe it doesn't have any methods any public API surface that receives or returns a node time instant or any node time types it's purely an implementation detail that it depends on node time to or node time at all in that case I shouldn't need to care like the fact that the dependencies are transitive is effectively an abstraction leak um, so yeah you know, It would be nice if that library could change from NodaTime to some completely different library or remove the dependency entirely. I, as a consumer of the library, shouldn't need to care. And that would be feasible if you could say, I want to declare this dependency as private. Please don't let me, and this would be a language change, so you have to be able to tell the C-sharp compiler, this dependency should never be exposed via my public API. Right. And at that point you can have a little bit more control and you can have them side by side because you don't need to exchange the types.
1: Yeah. Right, yeah.
2: I was just suddenly hit me
1: back on old enterprise service press thinking, which is 10 plus years old, where we yeah. were literally creating classes that had their version numbers in them so that you of course you ran everything side by side. They were just completely different.
2: Yeah. And and that's one way that you could achieve um this sort of side-by-sideness. Imagine <laughs> if you could opt into a versioning strategy and seamlessly, when you build nodatime v3, it comes out with an assembly called nodatime.v3.dll. Right. And the v2 has nodatime.v2.dll. And then you can depend on both of those and you get both of those. And no, they're not, you, know, you can't use type exchange at all, but they're all just there without any actual compartmentalization because the CLR doesn't need to load both assemblies at the same time right. um, or rather, it, it can load both of them because they have different identities. Because they're different. Yeah. And also yeah, in the, the code, the, I
0: think that, you know, if you're, if as long as you keep your classes the same, if they are compatible, then it's just a matter of changing the namespace. Right.
2: Well, the, the difficulty is they are still different types. You oh. can't tell the CLR, Oh, just kind of treat these as if they're the same type. Um, hmm. Even if they, haven't changed at all they are different types you sort of don't want the clr to be kind of making guesswork at that point saying well they kind of look similar let's assume that they're the same because implementation details may have changed immensely and so trying to run the code of one version against the data in bits of a different version would be catastrophic potentially could be yep so yeah it's it's a it's a real thorny problem um And I, I was really pleased to be able to talk with Rich about this and know that there are people in Microsoft who know this is a problem and care. Um, we just need to sort of really get momentum behind. Let's try to address this. Yeah. Decide a way to solve it. Yeah. And the way I normally scare people about this, um, is I'll, I'll say, right, semantic versioning means that everything, you know, any major version number can be, can break. So this could always be a problem. And, so there's there's a way that the entire .NET ecosystem could really have problems, and that's imagine that James Newton King uh says, right, Newtonsoft.json version 13, I'm gonna change the namespace. Because it's JSON.net, so I'm just gonna change the namespace of everything to json.net. So newtonsoft.json.json serializer won't exist anymore. Yeah. Mm. And, and then Every every application that depends on an old version and a new version, transitively, uh, blows up. Right. And that's just not sustainable. Basically, James, by being so popular, James has got into a situation where he cannot make breaking changes in anything other than most the most obscure corner cases, because otherwise everything goes to pot. So, despite the fact that in theory it's at major version twelve, I suspect reality is we're kind of maybe at version two. <laughs> yeah, because of the, he's just so restricted on what changes he can make. Absolutely, yeah. Well, and
1: and on one hand, he's like, "Congratulations!" A huge chunk of the internet depends on your stuff, mm-hmm. but also come with with you know great success comes this
2: huge obligation. Right. And, and that's because there is no support for how do we migrate things. Yeah. And I want to be really clear that I'm not picking on .dotnet Obviously, you know, .NET is, is where I live and breathe. Yeah, or Jason but, uh, for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> and James. Jason.net is a great, great package and James has done massively. The fact that the world hasn't fallen apart is precisely because James has done such a good job. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm also involved in my day job, as it were, in api versioning and trying to work out how do we do this so that if a team makes a makes a mistake in some field name does that really have to be absolutely forever can they ever deprecate things how how strict do we need to be with semantic versioning is it okay to say well at the protocol level the field goes away at some point but that's okay because we deprecated it a long time ago and we can do a major revision in each of the client libraries, but anyone not using client libraries might suddenly see a problem. It gets, it gets really difficult and this is real customer pain involved in if you do a major version bump that causes difficulties because of everything like Mm -hmm. this Uh, recently. So starting in about, August or September, I did planning and eventual execution for an, a major version bump of all the code that I was working on for Google um, because we needed to use a new version of gRPC that used the C-sharp eight um, async sequences or supported those. And because gRPC had taken a major version bump, I was stuck with either we never see a new version of gRPC or I need to reversion all of the support libraries and then all of the other packages. Yikes. So, twice. So, I went through releasing about 80 or 90 packages once for a beta and then once to go GA with it. Um, it's not a huge amount of fun. <laughs> no, no
0: kidding. By the way, gRPC, awesome. You're yeah, loving it. Huh? Good work there, good. Google.
2: I- I've been really pleased to see not just good work Google, but good work Microsoft and others embracing it and saying, yeah. Do "You know what? We we see the ver- the value in that technology. We will embrace it rather than trying to compete against it." Yeah. Well,
1: it is. It, this is the new world we live in, right? Where good ideas just get grabbed
2: onto. They're all open source right. projects. We just contribute to them. Yep. Yeah, and for all that we're we can be quite gloomy about things sometimes. Um, I will say that the way that companies work with each other instead of against each other has changed beyond all recognition from 20 or even 10 years ago. Yeah. It's great. And really it's, and it's not
1: like they're not competing against each other because they are, right? In the cloud spaces, these cloud spaces are all in competition. They're pushing each other to be better. Yeah. But you mm-hmm. don't compete in the code space. It makes no sense to compete in the code space. You're only going to hurt people. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. Hey, do you guys play cards? And we can build off what each other have. Do you guys play cards? Like, uh, yeah. Do cards, I play card cards with
2: Microsoft folks?
0: <laughs> or- yeah, card games. So the the reason I asked is because one of the things that I've been doing with my family, my kids, and my brother is playing Hearts and Pitch and these kinds of games online. And there's a place that's free. That it, there's also an app. It's called TricksterCards.com. So, I went searching for these, and this one is just really good. So, you just basically create a game, and you invite people by email, and then they show up, they sit down at the table, and then you can play. And it's cool. Cool. Nice. I um, will add that to the show notes. Yeah. I know it's random, but, you know, after so much versioning, your brain needs a break, you know?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, I, this, uh, and th- we've been talking about it for, like, 20 minutes. Imagine <laughs> when I had... <have, laughs> we laugh uh i have a colleague luke who um i do a lot of work in proposing versioning schemes and trying to work out the the ramifications of and the number of versions of versioning schemes that we've come up with is just crazy
1: (laughs) yeah we this is sort of a straight line conversation like if you were. I got to imagine the exploration like I I think I bet you're that I wish I'd had a copy of Rich Landers conversation with you like that would have been really interesting I'm sure you
2: guys went all over the problem and in theory so I started writing a blog post Uh, we had a conversation back in October I was hoping to see him in Poland where we were both going to be at a conference I think it was the Poland one uh, at the end of March and obviously that didn't happen Um, I'm sure we will talk in person at some point about this I started writing up a Blog post about the conversation because I took notes um, and I failed to get around to finishing that. So maybe I will now get around to finishing that, although the notes are kind of sketchy and I'm now trying to go on six months' memory instead of a week's memory. So we'll see.
1: Yeah. Uh, It it is, yeah, an interesting uh, set of problems. Definitely. And I I think it's solvable. Like we're not talking about an insurmountable thing, we're talking about getting a consensus and saying we're going to go forward like this.
2: Hmm. I, I think some aspects of it are unsolvable. Some are solvable from a different starting point. Right. So, you know, if you were to write, if I were designing a new programming language on a new platform, you can bet your bottom dollar I would think about versioning right from the start. Right. And the, the designers of C sharp attempted to. And some design decisions are clearly based on we want to avoid what's called the brittle base class problem. Um but they didn't get everything right and they there are whole ways in which ecosystems develop that are very hard to predict. Yeah. Um so
1: Yeah, I think you also create barriers to entry when you create a lot of upfront formality for these things too. So you sort of put yourself into a situation where you're not going to succeed enough that this will be a problem.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, Now, I think Microsoft could probably reasonably bet that uh, C-sharp and .NET were going to be successful enough that there were going to be significant um, ecosystems around it. Mm -hmm. But it's very hard to predict what those ecosystems will look like and what the versioning problems will look like. Um, And I don't know what what the solutions would be like, even if we had a completely free hand. But the reality is we don't. So I'm not expecting to get to any kind of nirvana with this. What I really, what I would like is maybe some options for that sort of private dependency um, aspect that I mentioned before. That would be really nice. Other than that, let's get to tooling around. Um, I have a build that's got every, all the bits that are going to be used. Is it all going to work? That would be nice. And the other is actually more of a community um, effort to define what we consider to be a breaking change and how we detect them. Mm. And we've got this. In fact, uh, a colleague of mine wrote a breaking change detector for C-sharp that can take two versions of an assembly and effectively give you a semantic difference between them. So. Okay. This is a minor change because you've added this property. This is a major change because you've removed this method or whatever it is. But there are some bits that are sort of, well, yeah, is it, is it not? I don't know. It's, it's kind of subtle. Yeah. Um, so what I would really like to see is some form of, um, standardization where you could say, uh, in your GitHub repo, you say, we follow semantic versioning under this definition and it would link to a set of rules that would be standardized and would be the output of a tool so you could know that you haven't broken backward compatibility under your set of rules um, and anyone else could know what your set of rules are so they would know what to expect instead of the sort of fairly vague descriptions that we have right now. Um, Now that's not going to be perfect so as an example, suppose you have um, a method that used to not accept a null reference and would always throw argument null exception if you passed null into it. Mm-hmm. And then you're, you become more permissive. You say, do you know what? Okay, I will allow you to pass in null and I will do something sensible with it. Now, every program that used to work without throwing an exception still works without throwing an yeah. exception. So is that a breaking change or not? doesn't sound like a breaking change on the other hand i'm calling that method passing in the value that i've received as a parameter and i'm going to assume it will throw argument null exception because i've guaranteed i've stated in my contract this must not be null if it's null Mm. it throws argument null exception so actually the the prohibitive part is part of the contract and you can't relax that either Hmm. what you can depend on is really fiddly so there are parts that can't easily be automated because you can't tell at least not without nullable reference types you can't tell whether or not you accept null um and whether whether you decide that that's a breaking change or not can be at least some sometimes context sensitive so I think we need the sort of flexibility of being able to precisely define the differences at least in terms of what is available via reflection you know what methods are there etc and Here's here's a standard set of rules for what's breaking and what's not, and you can tweak things and say, "Well, I'm going to say that it's okay. Maybe I only care about source compatibility, not binary compatibility. Right. Yeah. So that would allow me to add a method with a default parameter, an optional parameter, um, and remove the old method that only had you know one fewer parameters. Whereas that's definitely a bri- a binary breaking compatibility, um." change and in fact it's also breaking in terms of method group conversions and there are so many fiddly bits you can do almost nothing without it being breaking to someone somewhere john so you have a lot of gubbins in in there (laughs) (laughs) yes absolutely (laughs) full of gubbins yep yep
1: it's all gubbins (laughs) but it is the complexity of how each
2: developer attacks the problem of making breaking changes yeah yeah and everyone at the moment everyone needs to do that sort of themselves with relatively little in the way of tooling to help them yeah and much less policy right and uh, that's definitely something that can be addressed so there are aspects and this is where um on the dotnet foundation front so i'm a member of the board of the dotnet foundation and i really want the foundation to be uh assessing where there are bits missing from the .NET ecosystem, Mm -hmm. like this kind of tooling um, and saying, okay, well, we're not going to do it ourselves. Certainly the board isn't going to start writing code itself um, as a, as a board, um, but we may be able to find people who are interested and maybe they've each got, like we've got this breaking change detector within the infrastructure for the Google cloud client libraries, well, it's got nothing really to do with the Google Cloud client libraries, and there's probably someone else with another two thirds of the solution. You know, we've only implemented it as far as we need to implement it. Someone else has done something similar. Mm. Maybe put them together, and you get ninety percent of the way there. Maybe there's a third project. So I see the .NET Foundation as being able to help incubate that sort of collaboration between existing projects and say, all these things that aren't really part of your core thing, how about you all spin up a new project that is just dedicated to doing that? But it does seem to me most
1: of this has to do with consensus, that we come to a solution that uh, enough people agree on that they will implement it.
2: To some extent, I think for, for the details of what you consider to be breaking or not, You don't necessarily need consensus. What you do need is clarity um, and confidence. So you need to be able to say, okay, that project over there doesn't consider this to be a breaking change, but I do. And I don't want to have to manually catch that in code review because I'm human and I make mistakes. So if I can have a tool that says, no, you can't merge this without also bumping the major version number or something like that, Mm. then that's all to the good. Yeah, absolutely. it's a, Yeah, it's interesting to think in terms
1: of this is where our pain points lie now, right? It's not really language features per se or our ability to communicate on the internet or work with the cloud, but that we're all now starting to maintain software getting mature enough that how we move from version to version and how the consumers of the things we make move from version to version, yeah. this is where they struggle.
2: And it's also a sign that the .NET open source ecosystem and library ecosystem in general is reaching maturity. Mm -hmm. Sounds like it's not going to continue growing, um, but has become more and more important and more vibrant. So at a time where most people just made do with whatever Microsoft were providing, well, Microsoft can put in lots of effort into backward compatibility and I know they do. Um, But these days it's, kind of taken for granted that you're likely to need to use some libraries from somewhere else whether right. that's json.net mm-hmm. or Time or any of you know, however many frameworks you've always described on better know a yeah. um, though those are now just part of everyone's toolbox and versioning comes with that
0: well John we could sit and geek out and talk all day and someday <laughs> we should but uh, this is yeah. the the end of the show is there any last minute thing you want to throw out there for the peeps no uh stay safe stay healthy yeah definitely wash your hands wash your yeah. hands don't touch your face all right keep your social media
2: tabs two tabs apart
0: you know yeah thanks again john and we'll see you next time thank you on net rocks